the backstory, the story that people don't know, is I'd spent five years kind of cultivating the relationships with the art of leadership team, pitching myself, showing up, being helpful, offering articles, and just realizing that so often persistence is part of the art of slowly building your, your profile. And the breakthroughs you get don't tend to be accidental. They tend to be something that you worked at. And just to kind of make the point like maybe is, and the big breakthroughs, like the art of leadership for me, actually never turns out to be quite as influential as you hope, <laughs> you think. You think, this is it, this is going to be my breakthrough moment. It almost never is. What your breakthrough moment is, is the persistence of putting stuff out day after day after day. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six- to seven-figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six- to seven-figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your co-host, Nikki Ballou. I'm your other co-host, Michael Palmer. And boy, do we have an exciting episode lined up for you today. My guest today is someone I've actually known for over a decade. I met him when he was just getting started out as a coach, but boy, has he soared to incredible heights since then. In 2006, he was named the first ever Canadian Coach of the Year. He is the founder of the innovative coaching company, A Box of Crayons. He is the best-selling author of the book, The Coaching Habit, and he himself is a podcast host of a podcast called The Coaching Habit. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the <laughs> legendary Michael Bungay Stanier. Welcome, Michael. <laughs> I, I'm going to have to step away from the legendary bit, but most of the other stuff you said is true. But Nikki and Michael, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me along. It's great to have you. No, yeah. it's, it's really an honor to have you on the show, man. Well, you know, it's just to your point, Nikki, it's like it is cool that we met each other, I'm guessing like 12 or 13 years ago when we were both kind of figuring our way forward with all this. So it's just nice to kind of bump into each other and go, hey, look, we're older, we're wiser, we've had a bit of success, let's tell the stories of that. Absolutely, my friend, absolutely. So, Michael, the people who tune in to this podcast could be a coach, could be a trainer, could be a facilitator, could be mm -hmm. a consultant, could be an entrepreneur, you know. But what they all have in common is this. They are interested in thought leadership and they want to listen to you share your wisdom, your hacks, your secrets mm -hmm. on how you've applied thought leadership to grow your business and grow your practice. So why don't you start by telling us your backstory? Yeah, sure. So uh, you may be able to hear it in my accent. I'm Australian by birth. I'm, I'm on the cusp of turning 50. Although if you looked at me, you would say, man, that man can, surely he's only 49. But yeah, I'm, clo <laughs> I'm close to turning 50. And I left Australia 25 years ago. I'd done a, a, an arts degree in, in literature and a law degree in Australia. But I had the good luck to win a Rhodes Scholarship. That took me to England, to Oxford to study. And two good things that happened there. One is I didn't become 
become a lawyer. <laughs> so the scholarship yes. saved me from Good that work. miserable, <laughs> miserable path. But even more importantly, I met the woman who is now my wife, Marcella, and we've been together for 25 years. And it meant that I didn't scurry back to Australia. I kind of went, okay, Marcella's doing a PhD. I'm, I have to hang around. So I started my career in the UK. I worked first for a company that is in the world of innovation and creativity. So both inventing products and inventing services, but also helping them design and run some training around innovation and creativity. After kind of hitting a point where I was like, we come up with these awesome ideas, but they never seem to get much traction in, in our client companies. What's going on there? That took me to the world of organizational development, so how companies grow and change and evolve. And with a small consultancy, I started first in London and then moved to Boston. That got me into North America. We had three spectacularly unsuccessful years in Boston where we failed to get the small consultancy up off the ground. So in 2001, I moved to Toronto. And after a kind of flurry where I was just trying to you know, get a job, I launched uh, Box of Crayons in 2002. And so we've just celebrated 15 years as a company. Now, at the moment, Box of Crayons has a very clear promise in the marketplace. We teach 10-minute coaching so that busy managers can build stronger teams and get better results. So we're very niched. We're very specific about what we do. But you know, 15 years ago when I started Box of Crayons, my entire business model was, do you have a wallet and do you have a pulse? Because, <laughs> you know, I didn't really know anybody in Toronto. I was desperate enough to hang out with people like you, Nikki. So, you know, it's like Thanks, that's buddy. how low Appreciate my standards it. had fallen. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I was really trying to find my way. I had enough skills that I could kind of do a bit of this and a bit of that. And over the process, through a, a process of elimination and through a process of strategic choice, we've, we've ended up with this niche. And, you know, as an example, Nikki, you know, we met in part uh, doing the coach training. And I honestly thought I would start a coach practice and become an executive coach. And I did. And it turned out that I did not love running a coach practice. I didn't love being an executive coach. It felt too refined, too narrow, too limiting, a little bit boring at times, to be honest. And so that was like, okay, I thought I wanted to do that, but I had to say no to that so I could keep focusing on the stuff that really mattered to me. So there we go. There's my fairly rapid fire backstory. Love it. Overnight Love success. It. <laughs> yeah, it took exactly. only 15 years, right? Exactly. You got it. It's like 15 years, you know, I've, uh, the coaching habit is the latest book, which you kindly mentioned. And it's been a real success, you know, in, in about 18 months, it sold 300,000 copies. So it's gone gangbusters. Wow. But it's actually my fifth book, you know, so I've had some books that have, have sold maybe 5,000 copies, which is still pretty good. Um, others that have sold more, this one has kind of, you know, take, really taken off. But it is to your point, and I, I love part of the premise of the show is that it's easy to look at people who, you know, have a bit of a profile, could be considered thought leaders and go, how do they get there and what do they do and why can't I do what they're doing? But quite often what you don't know is, you know, <laughs> the long, lonely path that got them to apparently be an overnight success. Absolutely. Well, Michael, we have identified four elements that are key elements to thought leadership. Mm -hmm. And in our view, 
you pretty much nailed all four. I just want to go through <laughs> what each of those four are and then have okay. you comment on them in terms of how you've applied them to your business, okay? Right. So the first is clarity and mm. clarity of message. So having a niche message and then also clarity of target market. So having a niche yep. target market. The second is what we call a strategy of preeminence. In other words, being the best in your field. The third right. is what we call finding the right mentors, Mm. And the fourth and final one is finding the right peers or peer group. Yeah, very nice. So I can walk you through each of these individually, and it'd be great if you could walk us through how you've utilized these to grow your business. So, sure. yeah. So let's start with clarity, message, and market. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you heard me as I talked about Box of Crayons. We're a training company. We teach 10 minute coaching so busy managers can build stronger teams and get better results. That is super narrow as a niche. It's really clear what we do, but it's also really clear what we don't do. And for folks listening in who are going, oh, yeah, but no, that's easy for you to do, Michael, but I've got, I've got all these options. Let me just tell you that I'm a man who suffers from SOS, shiny object syndrome. <laughs> I love options. So every, every choice I make to narrow the focus, part of me dies inside. You know, a small unicorn dies, and that's part of the pro- – but it has truly served us well. You know, I belong – and this may answer kind of part four a little bit, the, the peers piece. I belong to an organization called – well, it's called ISA, even though that stands for the Association of Training Providers. So they're not very good at acronyms, but what they are is it's like a collection of frenemies. To other people who run training companies over a certain size, you have to have like a million bucks in revenue or something like that. And it really has a collection of probably a hundred different training companies from some of the really big ones like the Center for Creative Leadership or the Ken Blanchard company down to lots of smaller ones like mine. But what's extraordinary to me is in that group how undifferentiated so many of those, those companies sound because they're like, we do leadership. Okay, so what's your take on leadership? Well, we do this, this, and this. Honestly, it just sounds exactly the same as everybody else's. And one of the things that we're really clear about is because all we do is this practical coaching skills for busy managers. We're not training people to be coaches. We're training managers to be more coach-like. We can say, look, this is what we do, and we think we do this better than anybody else because that's all we do. So we've really doubled down on that and – you know, anybody who goes to the boxofcrayons.com website, you'll see just how powerful and singular in focus that website is. It is. And I'm going to give people a resource. Uh, there's a book that's recently out in the last couple of months, I would say, by a guy called Don Miller, uh, M-I-L-L-E-R, and it's called Story Brand. We know him well. And Yeah. His stuff is super influential on, on our stuff around something on the website design about – his whole point is like, you know, <laughs> way too much content on most people's websites. It's like, who do you serve? What's the what's the pain you're, you're solving for them? How do you help them? And uh, I'd really encourage people to pick up the Story Brand book if they haven't already done that. And he has a podcast as well, also called Story Brand, which uh, oh, that's cool. I'm, a, yeah. I'm a regular listener of. He's fantastic. We love Don Miller. Yeah. So, yeah, clarity. I mean, I... I what you don't see when you go to the website is the various programs that I love that I have killed off because we've gone, it doesn't fit our singular 
focus. I mean, another one of your guests, Mark Bowden. So he and I created this amazingly good uh, online program called Presentation Genius. It's like 25 videos, 10 to 15 minutes each, sharing our best techniques for presenting and facilitating. And anybody who's seen Mark's talks on TEDx, Toronto, or, or and truthplane.com knows just what a brilliant facilitator and presenter he is. And I'm a pretty good facilitator myself. So this, this is such a good resource. And this kills me, but it's not for sale. It's like we've taken it off the website. It's not available because to have it would inf- interfere with the singular focus of Boxer Crayons. Wow. Now, now... You know what? That's powerful. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, pay attention to what Michael just said. He's taken a program that he loved, that he did with a world-leading thought leader, and he took it off his website. That, my friend, is the power of focus, the power of clarity. I love it. I love it. And just to make your point, Nikki, this is a program that's generated north of $300,000 in revenue. So it's, it's a successful program, and it's still worth sacrificing for the boldness of focus. It's worth sacrificing for the boldness of focus. That is a brilliant turn of phrase, my friend. Almost <laughs> Churchillian, if I may say so. There we go. If, if Churchill was a tweeter, he would if definitely If he was a tweeter, that's like that. what he would tweet. You got it. <laughs> Okay, so the second point is strategy of preeminence and being the best in your field. I actually think that ties in very nicely with what you just said about, you know, having that boldness of sacrifice. Mm. Well, so this is an interesting one for me because part of what's implicit in your in your, that statement, being the best in your field, is that you decide what your field is. And you have to figure out who are you competing against and who do you want to compete against. And we've made choices that mean that we at Box of Crayons aren't actually competing against a bunch of people in a bunch of fields because of the focus piece. So that's a starting point around that. And, you know, to another point, so this is one of the challenges or one of the questions that people strategically face is, what brand are they going to build? So you look at Mark Bowden and his company is called Truth Plane, but the truth is Mark is the heart and soul and face of that company. I mean, he has other good people there, including Tracy, his wife, who's his partner and makes just a whole bunch of stuff happen backstage. But he's truly the guy on the front of the stage. And, you know, when you go to the website, you see Mark there. If you go to the Box of Crayons website, you don't actually easily find me because I've made a decision seven years ago that I was going to grow the Box of Crayons brand rather than the Michael Bungay Stania brand. Now, we want Box of Crayons to be known as the preeminent brand around practical coaching skills for managers. And we're really committed to that and our marketing and all that stuff kind of supports that. What that leaves us with is the interesting question about, well, who the hell is Michael? <laughs> What's his role in all of this? Mm. And I don't have an easy answer to this. I just, you know, we're wrestling with it. Three or four months ago, we put up the website, michaelbungaystania.com. So my full name.com. And if you go there now, you'll see that there's not much there because I haven't quite figured out what that website is about and am I is it just a kind of side hustle to box of crayons I think it probably is Mm. but what am I known for what would I want to build my own personal brand around 
because strategically, you know, we look at the coaching habit and, and it's like, it's done so well. We're like, okay, we need to double down on the coaching habit. How do we make this a classic? How do we make this a perennial seller? And one of the things that we realized about books that you would consider a classic is you typically know who wrote them. You know, you typically know that Jim Collins wrote Good to Great. You typically know Patrick Lencioni wrote Five Dysfunctions of a Team and so on. Mm-hmm. So we're like, okay, we want Michael to be a little bit more famous in support of the book. How do we now go about doing that? And the truth is, guys, we haven't figured that out yet. We're still wrestling with that. But I can say we've looked at the box of crayons brand and had a go at making that preeminent in the field of practical coaching. Yeah, I can totally see that. You may want to read a a book that we can get you a copy of called The Thought Leader Practice by Matt Church. Uh, You know who Matt Church is? He's Australian. Um, I like him already. Yeah, he's the creator of the Thought Leaders Global and the Thought Leaders Business School brands. And he has spent his entire career focusing on thought leadership and on how to position yourself as a thought leader. And in Mm. fact, he talks a lot about how to do that with your name being the personal brand that you build versus, you know, creating another brand. Although he's built a couple brands himself, including Thought Leaders Business School and so forth. But I recommend you read the book and, uh, you know, offline, Michael and I can connect you with Dave and we can, we can send you a copy because we, uh, we're big fans of Matt's. And in fact, we've licensed some of his material and we teach it in Canada. So it's, it's really oh, cool fantastic. stuff and I think yeah, you'd cool. really enjoy it. And we're going to be doing a couple events offline. I'll invite you to them. I think you might, uh, you might get something good out of them for I'm sure wrestling with this yeah, issue in particular. Fantastic. Yeah, it is. So let's move on to finding the right mentors and finding the right peers. So how have you implemented that? Yeah. So, you know, this is an interesting, an interesting one because I think mentoring happens in different ways. I have had for a long time, a pretty fantastic support group of friends and coaches and mentors. You know, you can label these people any way you want. So let me tell you, I've had for the last eight years, a singular guy who has been my coach. He is particularly good at helping me understand the structure of business and helping me to understand the value of making money. Because I'm I'm honestly not that driven by getting rich, but Ernest is a great one to go, so Michael, where's the money in this? And I'd go, yeah, there is no money in this. He's like, so do you still want to do it? I'm like, well, maybe I could do this instead. So Ernest has been a key part of this program. Um, So, you know, talking to him somewhere between once a month and once every two weeks. Um, for five or six years, my wife was my you know, active business partner. She retired 12 months ago. And so he played a really important role in helping us navigate how to co-run a business together when we're also married, which is both wonderful and a pain in the ass at the yeah, same time. Yeah, times. I totally get that. <laughs> so I have a mastermind group. So I've been in a mastermind group for 11 years. So four other coaches, when we all started, we had – we kind of all had the same-ish business, a kind of coaching business. Um, over 11 years, our businesses have actually grown off in different directions. And so I lean into them less about business experience because they're not that experienced at scaling a business at a certain size, but they're brilliant at knowing how I show up as a leader and what work I need to do on myself to get out of my own way, to deal with my familiar repeating patterns, all of that good stuff. And then there's just a bunch of people who I I may not even know 
personally, but whose work has really influenced mine. You know, uh, Seth Godin years ago wrote a great article about mentoring. And he's like, stop asking people to be your mentor. Just read their work and make a kind of imaginary mental group, which is like, so what would Seth Godin tell me to do? Uh, he would tell me to do X. Right. And, you know, there's wis- there's so much, you know, wisdom in so many good books. And so, you know, I lean into Adam Grant and Seth Godin and let's say Chris Brogan and a bunch of other people who I'm like, all right, how would they guide me on this? So I have used mentors a lot. The older I get, the more I realize just how fallible <laughs> I am in pretty much every decision I make. So kind of learning how to both trust myself, but also learning how to kind of test things out and run things past people is a, is a strong part of whatever success I've had. Michael, I've been following you for probably 10 years. and I was wondering who that guy was behind me. Yeah, but okay. there you go. <laughs> I drive a, you know, late uh, Ford. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like number plate WGFM 832. I've reported you to the police. Yeah, so a you'll, times. You'll be hearing I'm, from them. Yeah. I'm a little disappointed about that. It cost me, it cost me a lot of money to get out of those <laughs> situations. So. But uh, you seem to pop up all over the place. And even as Nikki was sharing about Matt Church when I was down in Australia working with Matt, I, if it was wasn't him that talked about you. It was somebody else in, in his community right. talking about Michael. Oh, you're from Toronto. You must know Michael. Uh, and so you've done an amazing job, I think your entire maybe career, maybe your entire life, of putting you out, out there, putting your ideas out there. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about that and share you know, maybe where you get stopped or what, what has you do such a wonderful job of it? Well, you know, th- thank you. Uh, for saying that. And I'd say that prominence has been more apparent in the last two years. And here's why. When we ended up publishing the Coaching Habit book, and there's a bit of a saga to it, you know, I'd published through Workman and New York Publisher before, but they turned the book down. I spent three or four years trying to get them to say yes to it. And finally, after numerous rejections, I went, okay, damn it, I'm going to just self-publish this book. What I committed to in self-publishing this book was that we would market it for a year because so many books, they're like, it's okay, it's all about the launch. We're going to get the book. We're going to get it onto the New York Times list, which is basically impossible unless you either have a budget of about $200,000 or you get remarkably lucky. But I was like, You know, it's less important for me to be on a bestseller list. It's more important for this book to sell more every year, year on year. And I'd had dinner with David Allen, the getting things done author and guru, if you like, some years ago. And he said, what I'm proudest of of getting things done as a book is that it has sold more year on year. And I'm like, what a great aspiration. So... I said to my team, and I built a small marketing team around me, I said, our goal is for me to be on two podcasts a week for the next 52 weeks, and then we're going to see what happens. But what that means is at least 100 podcasts over the next little while. And honestly, we haven't quite kept up that intensity, but it's at least three or four podcasts per month that I'm still on. And we're just like, you just don't know who's listening or how you might show up. And building prominence is like a pointillist painting. 
It's like a thousand dots of color and the picture suddenly starts coming into view. And you've got to you've got to kind of do the work to provide a thousand dots of color so people start seeing you and figuring out who you are. And then sometimes you've just got to be playing a longer game. Now, you know, one of the things that I did last year, which I was super stoked about, was I spoke at a, a series of conferences called The Art of Leadership. You know, it's particularly big here in Canada. They speak in Vancouver and Calgary and Toronto. And so I was I was on the stage, or not literally on the stage with, but, you know, we sh- I was on the same program as Tom Peters, one of the, the first thought leader I'd ever seen live 30 years ago. I was like, wow, there's Tom Peters. Uh, Ken Robinson, you know, the biggest TED Talk ever, and a couple of other kind of great thought leaders in this space. And I was like, wow, this is just one of those, man, I think I've kind of in some small way kind of made something here. But the backstory, the story that people don't know is I'd spent five years kind of cultivating the relationships with the art of leadership team, pitching myself, showing up, being helpful, offering articles, and just realizing that so often persistence is part of the art of slowly building your your profile. And the breakthroughs you get don't tend to be accidental. They tend to be something that you've worked at. And just to kind of make the point, maybe, is and the big breakthroughs, like the art of leadership for me, actually never turns out to be quite as influential as you hope. <laughs> you think, you think this is it, this is going to be my breakthrough moment. It almost never is. What your breakthrough moment is, is the persistence of putting stuff out day after day after day. Beautiful. I, I hear that for you uh, in everything that you've said is just incredible persistence and creating and creating and moving forward. The interesting thing is I think it was was Scott who actually pointed you out to me 10 years oh, ago. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so it's a full circle here. Um, and Scott, I do, Scott being one of the Art of Leadership guys. That's right, Scott. Sorry, yeah. Scott over at the Art of Leadership. And I do remember seeing you up on the, the marquee and, uh, and thought, awesome, you know. But it's, it, it, it's, we had Dr. Ivan Meisner on uh, recently on one of our podcasts, right. and that's really what he talked about is it's not about going and doing something, uh, you know, selling yourself, oh, it's going to happen right now. It's about connecting with people powerfully and then building a relationship. And, and you're right. really a, a demonstration of that. And, and many fronts, I think, if we started to look at your your network of people, I would say that you have a, an international, uh, really well-formed um, network of people that you work closely with. Yeah, I, I do. And you know, part of that is also figuring out how to connect with people in a way that is of service to them. Mm. So, you know, as you mentioned in the introduction, I have a, a, a newish podcast called The Coaching Habit. Before that, I ran a podcast called The Great Work Podcast. And I started that six years ago, seven years, kind of before there were, were podcasts. You know, it was called something else. And, you know, I interviewed three or 400 people. And in part, it was a chance to connect with them and go, hey, Tom Peters, or hey, whoever, Dan Pink, um, I, I love your stuff. Can I, can I interview you and talk to you? And it's that sort of, let me help you be promoted, be exposed to my audience, all of that good stuff. But it's a chance to kind of build mutually rewarding relationships can be a powerful way of just slowly rubbing shoulders with the right people. Mm. That's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. Michael, one of the things that 
I believe is the, the key power of thought leadership is that you can actually take your message and deliver it across multiple platforms in multiple ways. Th- that to me is something you've done very well. I mean, you started off as a coach and for yeah. a lot of people, being a coach is like being in a box. It means you can only do one thing in one way and it's usually one-on-one. Right. It's not a very satisfying way after a while as, as, as you pointed out in one of your previous answers. And yeah. it's also not particularly lucrative. But right. leverage, leverage, now that's something very powerful. That's something for that sure. can allow you to make your dent in the universe and make a great living doing it. Talk about how you've used leverage to get your message and your thought leadership out there in a bigger way, both from an impact point of view and a commercialization point of view. Yeah, so the seed for this got planted really early on, so probably about the time you and I met, uh, Nikki, when I went to an info session for Strategic Coach. Now, some people will know Strategic Coach. It's actually started here in Toronto, though it's I think it's global. And the founder of that, Dan Sullivan, is just this kind of genius thought leader, creator of intellectual property. And he mentioned a way of thinking about things, which he said, look, there are three phases you go through. The first is you say something like, I am a coach. You know, you self-identify with the profession. I am a dentist. I am a whatever. And that is limiting because it's like, I I am the job. The, the second phase is to say, I am an entrepreneur who is a dentist or who coaches or who practices dentistry, whatever it might be. And that already shifts things because the entrepreneurial mindset means that you're like, I'm, I'm marketing, I'm selling, I'm creating something more than just me. And then the third phase he talks about is, I'm an entrepreneur who practices coaching who creates his own or her own IP, intellectual property. And his point was, it's when you hit the IP piece that scale becomes possible. Because when you have IP, you can deliver what wisdom you have in a way that doesn't rely on you to actually have to do it. So I was like, I love the idea of this. And the very first piece of IP that I created is called The Eight Irresistible Principles of Fun. So that became a little movie that... You know, when we launched it, it's, it, when you watch it now, it's still kind of cool, although it's a little slow compared to the pace that the internet goes at now. But it's, you know, got you know, more than a million views when we launched it out there into the world. Um, wow. But, you know, our, our focus now has been to to create content around coaching skills for managers. So we created content in the programs that we run. We only have four programs, but they've got some very clear IP as part of that. You see some of that IP show up in the coaching habit book. We've repositioned or reworked that structure of those programs, and now we we teach organizations that through virtual programs. So not just in a classroom, but facilitated through WebEx or Zoom or something like that. Next year, we'll be launching an app. So an app uses the seven core questions you find in the book, but it helps managers track their coachability. In the second half of next year, I'll be working with WBEX. WBEX stands for the World Business Executive Coaching Summit to launch a program that's based on some of the content from the book and other stuff that I've created as well. So I'm very much about find a way of taking your ideas, first of all, 
making them more interesting than they currently are because a lot of people go, oh, I've kind of had the same thought as everybody else. That's kind of good enough. But it's like, you know, push harder. You know, find the simplicity on the other side of complexity and the idea that you're, you're putting out there. Know on the one hand that this is old wine in new bottles because almost certainly this is not the first time anybody's ever thought of this. It's your take on something that's already out there. But know that your new bottle actually matters. And so go, look, you want the wine to be great, you want the bottle to be great. And even though it's old wine and new bottles, that actually, just to carry on the metaphor, gives you the, the capacity to pour a really good glass of wine for people. That's I know brilliant. I kind of descended into alcoholism there. Yeah, but there you I, go. I, I, I was sure thinking we should go have some wine. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, For some reason, go. I'm really thirsty. The two Michaels and wine. There you go. Yeah. So why did you decide to write this book at this time? Um, I, you know, I had the idea for the book. And I think that's a really good question, Nikki, because I, you know, I just got off the, the phone before this interview to, with an author a thought leader. He's had a couple of books, one of which did really well. And he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm gearing up to write the third book. And I'm like, so why are you doing that? And there was this kind of silence on the phone. And in the end, he said, you know, I'm not sure, really. Um, I think it's because my second book was disappointing. and I want to prove to myself I can write another bestseller. And I was like, hmm. dude, are you sure you want to do that? Because it's miserable writing a book. I mean, it is just hard work, you hate yourself, you hate your book at a certain point, and almost certainly your book is not going to succeed because most books don't. And so, he, I mean, he's thinking about it. But for me, I kept writing bad versions of this book and kept saying to myself, this is your chance to walk away. You've written another sucky version. Why don't you just quit? But because I could see such a strong connection between the book and the business, and I just knew that if we could get this book out, even if we didn't sell it through mainstream channels, we distribute it through our programs and we'd have people reading it and, and, and using it through that. I just knew that it had legs and it had sustainability. So it was just a good strategic lever to make the most of the business. I like it. I like it. You know what? Someone else we interviewed earlier today said that writing a book and publishing a book has been the single most powerful leg in the stool that has grown their business. And um, it wasn't from book sales. I know you sold 300,000 copies of your latest book, yeah. and that's a fantastic result. Yeah. But even more powerful than the book sales, at least in this person's view, was how the book branded him and how right. the book took him to another level where way more people decided they wanted to find out about what he did and do business with him. And, and that's why I asked the question. Yeah. Well, here's the danger, though, and it's the danger for everybody listening to all of these types of podcasts is falling for survivor bias. You know, it's like it worked for this guy. It's worked for me. Therefore, it will work for you. And what, what Nikki and Michael haven't been doing is interviewing the guys and, and men and women who've written books and it's done nothing for their life other than sucked their soul dry. So <laughs> oh I, I just offer that to say – I'm a big believer in thought leadership. I'm a big believer in creating your own intellectual property. But understand that a book is just one channel that you have as a choice around how you get your idea out into the world. And 
as Mark Bowden would say, every choice you make has punishments and prizes. So understand the punishments and the prizes for that choice. And then if you're going to do it, go for it, you know, commit to it. But I just want to, I just want people to know that there are other options other than book writing out there in the world that can really help them. You know, I agree you know, with starting you. a great podcast is a perfect example. I agree. And we talk about this all the time is the, the, the many people write a book thinking it's going to be the thing that is going to grow their business, have a breakthrough in, in, their, in their results. And often they're, they haven't thought it through. They have no clarity around what it is that book's actually going to do and how it's going right. to do it for yeah. them. And it is soul-sucking and a complete and utter waste of time and money. Right. Now, right. we could go and say, well, gee, that's a learning experience. You get wisdom from your actions and all that good stuff. But it, you know, one of the messages that we talk about often is uh, figure out what it is you really have to offer. Trial that, test it, do it through things like podcasting or blogs or you know, face-to-face interviews with people. Do the things that can prove and validate that you have something real and valid that people uh, need and want and you can make a difference for. And then, hey, when you get there, then a book may help you take the next step. One of my uh, good friends has a book out, which he wrote six or seven years ago, and it's done okay for him. And his business has boomed in the last year because he invested in creating an app. And that app has been the thing that's really started to establish his name and really differentiate himself in the marketplace and really cool. really influenced his uh Maybe we need the growth of his business. <laughs> well, no, I'd love to interview this person, uh, yeah. refer them over because it's an interesting story. And again, sure. uh, you know, what there's a, I forget the book, but, or if it's a quote, but, you know, what got you here won't necessarily get you the next step. And I think that's right. what your message is, is just because Michael has gone out there and sold 300,000 copies, you know, there's a, yeah. a massive it's a, it's string a of dominoes. Of complete anomaly. Yeah, it's lots like of dominoes guys. and lots of failures and successes all the way along to get that and your right. own secret sauce and magic that you brought to it to give you the timing and and to have that success. So um, whilst there's definitely learnings in everything we're doing and every, every guest that we bring on here, there's learnings. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's also, it has to be translated to your situation. Now, I will say this. If you are going to write a book or if you have already written a book, um, about four months ago now, I wrote an article for a website called Growth Lab. And if you Google how I sold 180,000 copies of my book, you'll find this on Growth Lab. And I actually, it's a long article. It's like 7,000 words. And I share all the marketing tactics I did and which ones worked and which ones didn't work so well to help promote the book. For those, So those of you who are interested in Put that in the Actually, show notes. Any, It'll be any in the show notes. leadership stuff, and you're like, how do I market the idea that I've got? There may be something useful in, in that article. There will be something useful in that article. Yeah. I want to read that article. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's good. I mean, it killed me. I mean, it's a quarter of the length of the book, so it's like a substantial article. I was going to say, it's almost a book. <laughs> right. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a mini book. Michael. How we like to end off each podcast is by asking you, our our guest, you know, what are your top three expert action steps that you recommend to our listener? And keeping in mind that our listener is an aspiring thought leader or an actual thought leader or an entrepreneur, 
What are the top three expert action steps that you recommend they take to improve their thinking, to improve their thought leadership, and to improve their business? Uh, the first one is I'd say use the Jim Collins metaphor of bullets and cannonballs. And so people may know what that is, but for those who don't, Jim Collins, who wrote Good to Great, his whole piece around business is to say your strategy should be a combination of bullets and cannonballs. Your bullets are your your low-risk, low-cost tests, you know, kind of beta testing, testing a market, testing a product, doing minimal viable product, all that sort of stuff. When you figure out what you think the answer is, that's when you have to fire the cannonball. That, that's when you kind of go all in. That's when you fully commit. And his point is that most people either fire their cannonball too soon. They're like, I've got an idea. I'm just going all in on it before it's been really tested. Or they fire it too late. They're like, even though I think I know what the answer is, I'm too anxious. I'm not brave enough to actually commit to it to really make a go of it. So I think there's something about uh, figure out bullets and cannonballs and what that what that looks like. I think the second thing is to understand that the art of strategy is figuring out what to say no to. And even though this sounds slightly contradictory to that whole fire bullets, and it is, but the very first uh, kind of uh, profile of a thought leader or characteristic of a thought leader that you created is clarity of of product and target. And what's implicit in that is you've figured out what you're going to say yes to by figuring out what you're going to say no to. And figuring out what you're going to say no to actually is not just a thing, but it's a person. And that's where it gets hard because it's hard to say no to people. But the stronger you can make your no muscle, the better chance you're going to have in saying yes to the right stuff. So sometimes it can be a useful flip of the switch to say, my default answer to can you do this is no, or will you do this is no. And let's see if you can persuade me to make it a yes. Because for most of us, our default answer is yes. And occasionally, for whatever reasons, we end up saying no. So I'd say that would be my second piece. And the third piece is to, you know, I just think it's to get good people in your corner. Um, You know, you asked me about my mentors and peers. And when I think of my mastermind group in particular, I mean, I love my Ernest, my coach, and I love (coughs) Jill, who's another coach. I know I have a bunch of people I lean into. But this, this ongoing mastermind group, we call ourselves the Brain Trust, you know, 11 years we have checked into our web forum every day. We've talked on the phone every two weeks. And once a year we get together and we hang out together. These people know me better than almost anybody. They have a better sense of my patterns and my weaknesses and my blind spots. And to invest in a relationship that gives you that richness can be extremely powerful. I love it. I love it. Well, Michael, Here's what I want to say to you. You are a thought leader's thought leader. And here's what I want to say to you listening to the podcast. Pick up a copy of Michael's book, right? And listen to his podcast. Go to his website, A Box of Crowns. Consume this man's content. And 
learn from him. And if you're listening to this podcast and you're a manager or you own a company and you've got managers who could benefit from learning his methodology, I'd say absolutely engage with him and and use him. This man is the best of the best at what he does. So go ahead and do that and make sure that you do that. And if you're listening to this podcast and you're serious about your own thought leadership and you want to know if you have a message inside you that would resonate in the marketplace and you want to know what it's worth in the commercial marketplace, let's jump on a call and find out if you could be the next Michael Bungay Stanier <laughs> of your market niche. And do you believe in your message enough not to let the chattering monkeys in your head steal your dream and take it away from you? Are you going to let those chattering monkeys uh, silence your voice or are you going to say no to the chattering monkeys and you're going to let your voice be heard? If you want to have your voice be heard, make sure that we can jump on a call and see if you could be the next Michael Bungay Stanier of your market niche. And the way to do that is to go to ecircleacademy.com forward slash appointment and book a call with us and let's help you move this process forward. Michael, thank you so much for honoring us by being on the show. It was really a pleasure to interview you. You shared a lot of gold with us and with our listener. Michael, Nikki, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me along. Thank you. Awesome. Michael, this was a great interview. We loved it. We'll give you a heads up when it's uh, ready to come out. That's great. I would love to chat with you offline. As I said, have a cup of coffee with you. We'll uh, make sure that we have Dave get your address so we can ship you a copy of the Thought Leader Practice book. And yeah, I'd love that. When we're doing some events in Toronto uh, around this this issue, we'll definitely let you know about that. And hey, if you'd ever like to have either Michael or I on your podcast, we'd be honored to be on yours as well. That would be awesome. Thanks, guys. I really enjoyed the conversation. Ditto. Thanks a lot, Michael. Bye-bye. Thanks again. Bye. Take care. Susan. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That wraps another episode of The Thought Leader Revolution. To learn more about today's fabulous guest, what a thought leader. The thought leader's thought leader, as said by Nikki. You can go to thethoughtleaderrevolution.com and as well. Don't forget, if you have your thought leadership and you'd like to figure out how you can make it happen for you inside of your market, please get on a call with us at ecircleacademy.com forward slash appointment. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.